it's just like an odd thing when there's well, Virginia, a- <laughs> why wouldn't you have it why would you have it outsourced first of all but then outsourced to virginia they're an excellent agency that's doing really good work hmm. and they bid on the project that's what you do in marketing if something comes up it's a request for proposals you put together a proposal and they did and they got it this was well before my time i don't really know any of the backstory about that that was about five years ago so they've been doing it for a while this is not a new thing so um yeah i just joined the team like two months ago yeah how do you like it it's great i'm learning a ton about eureka because i live in arcata i'm new to the country and to the area everything feels very new and so i've been kind of like dancing around being here i feel like like I, i ran a production company in Canada for five years and was still doing that when I moved out here. And so I was kind of just like sitting in my office working like I wasn't really here. And just in the last six months, I've been like, okay, like I live here now. And then getting this job and being in the community a little bit more and just even like commuting to Eureka to work and stuff. Like I'm like, okay, now I live here and now I'm able to actually like really meet people, you know, and teaching at the university and stuff. So it's like, it's been a really slow burn, I feel like. I don't know how other newcomers feel about this place, but it's like, I have had to spend a really long time kind of just like slowly figuring it out. Do you think that's the adjustment to the states or the adjustment to the area specifically? I think both. I mean, it's a rural place too. Like my, the city I'm from is like a million and a half people. Yeah. So slight difference in population size. Yeah. Um, but this is like totally what I want. Like I want to be here. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But there's like, I, when I tell my friends in Canada about this place, I'm like, there's, so I live right beside the forest too in Arcata and I'll often think that there is there are forces at play in the woods. We kind of all know this, but th- these are not benevolent forces. Like there is there's a darkness to this place in a way that I don't think is like you know, something to be that scared of, but it's something to really like listen to. Like I feel kind of halted being here in a way by the natural world in um, a dark sense. In a dark sense, but not like an evil sense. There, and I think that's just like life in general. Like there's darkness to it that we need to like embrace and not be afraid of. And I think that here that gets boiled to the surface a little bit because the natural world is just like there in your face. I don't know. Do you feel like that living here? I, I mean, certain times if you go downtown at 11 o'clock. You could say, yeah, okay, it feels a little, feels like there's some dark energy, but I don't know about as a whole, but I've, I was born and raised here, so I might just be too I'm not talking about in. the people. I mean, I think the people are yeah, affected by it, but I'm talking about like walking into the forest for like several hours and just like being with it and realizing that the natural world is not this like sweet kind thing. Oh, and you're it, talking about the dichotomy between the forest and like the city here? Just, no, like, as a human being, like, affected by the natural world, like, the forest here, I think is really profound. Um, And I think it's really easy to be like, oh, wow, it's so beautiful. Like, let me just, like, Instagram some fog. Like, that's great. But then a lot of people do. Yeah. And I think that, yes, yes. And there is a darkness that must be heard here, I think. (laughs) I don't know. Huh. I, I don't. 
I wouldn't describe it as dark, but I've spent just a lot of time in the woods. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting perspective. I think that I'm... Do you feel like you're tapped into kind of that more so than other people? No, I don't. And I think that that's why I like being here because I'm sort of forced to sit with it a little bit more, which is funny because I came in here being like, oh my God, I'm so busy. Like everything is crazy. I have this new job. So it's, it's almost like if you're in a city, you're not contending with the outside world as much. You're in a city you do your job, you go home, whatever. And here you're expected, at least like the the lifestyle I am living, I am now expecting myself to live that way, but then also be constantly faced with this like insane beauty, you know, speaking to me and being like, you know, we're just right here. Like, you know, it's sort of, it's, it, it, makes you feel kind of like paled in comparison to it and that all of this is just kind of a joke and like the trees are the thing that matters i don't know that i do get (laughs) that idea of when you're in nature it kind of gives you this healthy perspective of okay everything else doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. like your job the stress of i've got all these big projects piling up i've got all this work to do it kind of fades away especially when you're at least for me if you're out in the forest at night or like sunrise I think that really hits home and you can sit there and say, okay, you get a little perspective. It's like taking a breath. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are things that matter more than what I'm worrying about right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think being here and trying to be like a working professional, it's like this tension that I'm constantly dealing with of like, no, run away, go into the forest never come back. And then be like, no, like ha- have a career and like, you know, survive financially. So <laughs> was it easier to just keep your head down and kind of focus on the career in the city? Yeah. Because you're yes. just, you're surrounded by people. That's exactly working. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. So that's a big adjustment being out here. A big adjustment in a good way for you. Is that kind of what you wanted? Was that? Yeah, I think that um, ideally, like, I think that um, wage labor is kind of ridiculous and I would love to just fade into the forest at some point, but that's not happening right now. So, yeah, yeah. I think everyone's just doing a dance, you know, to try to figure it out. You know, we, we need to get by, but we also need to just be human beings. So That's the struggle is how much can I do to get by versus what do you actually want to do? Do you want to work this job that you're working? Do you want to be this stressed out? But the flip side of that is you don't want to be homeless. It's like, okay, let me just keep working. And and in this economy? Right now, specifically? (laughs) Like, yeah, like, it's hard. You know, I think that, and, you know, folks like 40 and under, it's like you kind of just have to grind at the moment. And, um... Again, it just feels kind of like ridiculous in a place like this to have to push so hard. But I do also believe that things ebb and flow. Like I was in like the most chill place I've ever been in really in my life, like over the summer. And then I've just started like working on more projects and gotten busier. So waiting for the thing to mellow out ebb. Again. Yes. It's interesting hearing you say that because I would assume film production would just be go 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 oh no no like it so if if we want to get into the film side of my life um 
I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the industry, and um, it kind of does branch off to what I'd just been talking about. Um, I think that there's definite, like, pauses and then ramping up. So, of course, you've got your, like, development and your pre-production, and then you've got your shooting, and then you've got kind of, like, a lull, and then you go into post-production, and it's, like, a lot of these, like, peaks and valleys. And those can last for, like, over two years at least, sometimes with a feature film. And so you really have to be okay with things, like, slowing down almost to a halt sometimes. Like, say you're waiting on a loan. Say you're, like, applying for a grant and you're just, like, not sure if you're going to get it or not. Um, You're waiting to hear back from talent and there's, like, five people between you and that talent that have to come into play for you to actually get an answer for something. Like, you really have to learn how to, like, go and then hold and wait and then go again. So it's a very, like, this industry is, like, very kind of, like, manic in that way. And um, as a producer that has been working now, not for that long, I mean, I only got into film after completing a master's degree and I was well into my 30s. Um, even just taking it seriously and working in that industry just for like five or six years, I see so many issues with it from kind of like a, you know, well-being perspective. And, um, I really feel for people that do go all the way with it, you know, like I'm going to LA, like this is it, like very kind of like that staunch industry approach to filmmaking because it will tear you to pieces physically and mentally and I'm at a point in my career where I could do that or I could pull back and I'm at a point where I'm pulling back not to say I'm not making films anymore but I really am conscious of the fact that there's like just so many problems with this industry (laughs) yeah yeah the problems being that ebb and flow or is it something well what is it for you? I what? think for me, it stems from a lack of oversight for producers mostly. Um, I think that, as we know, actors are quite protected um, with the unions. And um, it depends on like where you're working. There's a lot of different factors at play for this. I'm not, I don't want to be too generalist about it, but like I do think there's just like treatment of crew and treatment of other producers directors like there's just like very bad like behavior in the industry and you really 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 have to be a good person despite all of that you know like i think that again i don't want to generalize everybody in the industry but you can get away with a whole lot of big asshole stuff and um some people buy into it and think that the only way that they're going to succeed is to just be a huge asshole. And then some people go another route. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where I want to be in that world and if I want to be in that world. And at the moment, the direction that I'm going as a filmmaker is more into small scale documentaries and more like community led projects. And being new to Humble is an opportunity for me to really kind of like sit and take things in here really like stop and listen and get a sort of temperature check on this place and sort of wait for stories to come to me and wait for people to come to me that like have interesting things to share and and want to work and collaborate 
Um, I think going into the documentary space for me um, is really an exercise in knowing where your place is and knowing when you can step in to support and and identifying like who has the um, the right and the agency to tell certain stories. That makes sense. So for you, it almost seems like there's this air of a, a toxic workplace that kind of was upsetting, which that's what you hear about a lot, especially with Hollywood is it's Yeah, and I think the that there's a lot of like mismanagement of money and people that just, I think everyone's kind of running around like really freaked out because it's super stressful. <laughs> and so then their way of coping with it is kind of just not being great. Um, not to mention, you know, working on larger scale, like especially like narrative fiction features. And I should be clear, I'm an independent filmmaker. Like I work with tiny budgets, but even the opportunities that I have to work with something like slightly higher, like closer to a million dollars, it's like very intense and scary being responsible for a lot of money. So like me as an independent, having that kind of like understanding, I can't imagine, you know, people being responsible for like, you know, dozens of millions on things. Like I get it, like why it's so tough. Um, but I, I think I'm just like not interested in the chaos at the moment. <laughs> Was that yeah. part of the decision to come down here? Was you had kind of reached this point where you felt like you needed to make a decision where you wanted to go? No, coming down here was like a totally random thing for me. So um, I met my husband, who is also from Canada, and he was in town for the summer up in Calgary. This is where I'm from. And we met and we were long distance because he came back down here. He teaches at Cal Poly Humboldt in the art department. And I kind of thought, okay, whatever, nothing's going to, like, this is long distance. It'll probably just, like, fizzle out. But then we ended up, like, coming back and forth and visiting each other. And then COVID hit. And then it was sort of like, okay, maybe I'll just come for, like, a while. And then I moved here. And then we got married because I needed to get a green card in order to stay. <laughs> so it all moved, like, very quickly. And I came in just being like, oh, California. There's palm tree. I went on like Google Street View to like the plaza in Arcata and I was like, there's palm trees there. It's probably like hot and nice. Like whatever. It'll be great. And I show up and it was like, okay, this is like, this isn't SoCal. <laughs> like this. And my friends, they're like, oh, so you moved to LA. Like they really, in Canada, we don't realize how big California is. And so it's like, oh yeah, you moved to LA to like, people think I moved to LA to work in the film industry. And it's like, no. Like, I'm a few hours north. Yeah, like, thank you for your interest. But no, like, people coming to me wanting to collaborate on things in Canada because they think I'm, like... Big time. Yeah, it's like, no. Like, ah, lower your expectations a little bit. Um, But again, I think that because we are working in this place that's outside of all of that chatter in Hollywood, there's so much potential here in Humboldt for filmmakers. And I think like, yes, of course, there's boundaries, you know, access to gear, access to crews. Um, but we have so much opportunity to tell stories that are so unique to this place. Um, and, and I think there's just like a, a whole lot that can be done. And I'm curious, too, because you when we spoke before, 
you said you had an interest in filmmaking, and I know you've interviewed a couple other filmmakers recently. Like, are you, is this something that's kind of like percolating for you to be getting into or what's, uh, yeah, I don't know to what extent I've always been interested in the acting side, but lately or not even lately for a while, I've also been interested in almost writing something, but I'm so focused on this now. That's almost a back burner idea, but it's something I keep kicking around. I had Justin, I'm drawing a blank on his last name, but he is a videographer and director here locally. And he has produced some pretty insane work. You guys, I don't know if he would reach out or not, but that would, you guys might do something. He was, there's definitely a ton of creative people in that field up here. Mm -hmm. It's just, we're almost landlocked in that way where there's not a whole lot of movement. As opposed to if you were down in L.A., you could be doing something every week. Well, it depends. It completely, like, and I think it's it's very easy to talk about the film industry as, like, the industry, you know? And it is so, so, so complex. Um, and I think if you're interested in being, like, a crew member, yeah, Humboldt is tough. If you're interested in starting something yourself and and knowing that we don't just exist in a little bubble here and knowing that like, yeah, you have to reach out to other producers to like collaborate with you and maybe elevate your work that are outside of the area or um, really do deep research into like the funding available. And th- this is something as a Canadian, I'm always like, where's all the grant money? Cause like we get all the grant money there, but there is like the more that I dig here, the more I'm like, okay, there's like, these foundations there's these funds like it's just not as like government focused as it is up there um but i do think yeah i think you can really do something incredible here for sure and you think of people like um oh my gosh i was just talking about her yesterday um there's a female filmmaker southern oregon um first cow and old joy she directed and it is like so deeply pacific northwest like it is just like you really feel it watching her films and i think that humble has such a potential there too as like a location you know um but this idea that like to be a filmmaker you gotta get your crew of like 30 people plus you gotta have the best this the best that that this whole like that very like mainstream idea of filmmaking i think is like completely prohibitive to so many people that have talent and it's something that people just get so freaked out by that they just they don't do it i mean what like tangerine was filmed just on like a cellular telephone and it was one of the most phenomenal movies i've seen in like a decade so you gotta just do it I think that's the moral of the story for life. Whatever you're trying to pursue, you have to just start doing it and then mm-hmm. let the pieces fall into place as you go instead of trying to get everything lined up to be perfect mm-hmm. when you start. And following through, like, you know, you can sit down and paint a painting in like a couple hours and it's like you have this tangible thing and be like, great, I did that, done. Like making a film is so arduous in terms of time. Like you come up with an idea, this like spark of an idea, it could take you like eight years to finish that. And that will mean that you probably hate your idea after a certain point. You realize how much money it takes to make this happen. You have to work with people that you might not click with. 
Uh, there's just so many things that are going to get into your way. So you hear a lot of stories. People will be like, oh, yeah, like you're saying, I'm going to write something. It's like, great, you're going to write something. And then that's 20 years go by. 20 years go by. And like, you know, you don't know what to do with it. Like it's, it's, it's so many little pieces coming together. And I think that emerging filmmakers really need to have mentors. And I think that having mentors is extremely hard because the people that actually do like make it in whatever sense you think of it are pretty hard to reach. But that there's such a disconnect between being like, I'm going to write a script and like having a vision of it coming to life. And they do like it happens a lot. It's just extremely complicated and you need to know the right people in order to move it along and it doesn't happen overnight and i think like it's just so easy to be like i'm not going to do this anymore i need to put on the back burner or something because it's totally overwhelming but just the people that rise to the top are just super super um stubborn is what i think (laughs) well and they're the ones that actually take the step right instead of just saying oh yeah i'm going to do this or i'm thinking about how to do this and then you check back in a little while later and they're still thinking about how to do it. Yeah, I'm still working through the process. Yeah, and it feels there is actually like scientific evidence about this where you get a dopamine hit when you talk about a thing that you want to do. You get the same kind of dopamine hit that you get when you're like you have actually done it. So I think in the film industry, especially and in the creative world in general, it's really like satisfying and fun to be like yeah, I'm like writing a script right now or I'm, you know, talking with this other producer or something like that. Or yeah, like I met this actor and they're interested and maybe, and it's like, you get so high off of those kind of like silly little ego focused conversations that you get satisfied from them to the point where this end goal that's eight years down the road is no longer the thing that's driving you. And I don't know, like, this is just film industry aside, like, this is just a thing in life that is, like, fascinating. Like, if you, it's almost like you can't verbalize your goals because then it loses the sheen or something. It's like you have to keep it secret until you've done it or something or else you're going to, like, psychologically it'll kind of, like, dissolve. I don't know. Have you had that experience? Oh, yeah, I buy into that all the time. I don't talk about anything that I'm doing, usually. You were actually the first person I actually talked about doing something like that with. Mm. I think Justin and I might have talked about it. I don't know if it was on air though, but normally I don't, I don't talk about, I don't even tell people I do a podcast. I, just, you, I think you have to just keep everything locked and then let the results speak for themselves when and if you get there. But talking about it or saying, oh yeah, this is my plan and laying it out there, that doesn't do anything. It's so, it's so odd. Yeah, it's true. And I, th- I, I'm definitely a victim of that for sure. And I think in the creative industries, especially it makes, and because filmmaking is so hard to do that it's like easier to just maybe like talk about doing it rather than doing it. So I don't know the answer. It's very complicated. It's a trap that you can slip into yeah. instead of doing the actual thing. You just talk about doing the thing and then you get the little ego boost from people saying, oh, wow, you're going to, yeah. you're doing that. And you're like, oh, okay, I cool. guess I don't have to do it. And that made me feel good yeah. enough. It's like I an addiction. Just talk about it. Yeah. Weird. Do you have you come across a lot of that working in this producer role where people come to you and say, Hey, I've got this thing. And then you're like, Great. Let's let's maybe talk about it. And then nothing comes from that because they yeah. haven't followed through. 
It happens a lot, I think more so because it's emerging filmmakers that don't realize how much the work is. How much they, yeah, and a lot of the the bad work is in the hands of a producer. It's not the fun job. Like you're the one that finds the money. You're the one that hires everybody. You're the one that organizes everything. You're the one responsible if shit totally hits the fan. Um and so as a producer and having someone come to me that I feel might not be like completely clear on their direction with things, either they're like a writer or director and they like I need to be so sure that they're serious. Yeah, cuz I'm not going to put years of my life into something that maybe the people that I'm working with are not 100% on. Like, it, it's crazy how close you get with people that you're working with as a producer. Like, the producer-director relationship and relationship with the crew that comes on for a short period of time as you're working through things, it's, like, nothing I've experienced before. And I think that's what keeps me wanting to work in this industry. As much as I shit on it, the beauty of coming together with people in such a like raw intense way like you can go from getting like the best shot you've ever seen in your life to like a thousand things falling through for like the next day's shoot in like a 10 minute span of time and you are it's almost that what do they call it in the army when you're like trauma trauma bonding (laughs) there's a beautiful trauma bond that happens in the film industry that i i really still can't get enough of and i haven't found that in any other industry yeah you're almost going from one addictive state to the next right you're just living in this heightened state of emotion pretty bananas and i actually have noticed that there are a lot of people with addiction like pasts that get into this industry especially people that work in crew because they're working really intense long like late hours and there's just like a certain breed of person that's able to do it I can't do it. That's why I'm a producer. Like, I, I can pop on to set and be like, great, I'm going to bed now. Like, I don't really have to, like, be there, like, start to finish all the time. But, the, you know, like, gaffers and stuff, like, it's bananas what they're capable of and how hard they have to work. Yeah. So how would you describe the overall role of a producer? You're getting mm-hmm. the money. You're interacting with the director and the crew. You're kind of just steering the outer portion of the ship while the director kind of controls what's going on on camera? Yeah, I like to think of it as a producer is the person that is able to bring the director's vision to life. Um, I also feel that it depends on who you are. Like, I, I feel like I have a really creative bend to the work that I do and I I'm not just sort of like a client-based producer I'm not gonna be like okay I'll make this and like see you later um I will be like this shot is awful like you need to cut it like I'm pretty heavy-handed with that and most good producers do that like there's also you know if you go back this doesn't happen so much anymore but other like classic films you'll hear of like a producer's cut on some things so I think that the role of the producer can kind of ebb and flow depending on the relationship that you have with the director. Um, but yeah, in in a kind of a more traditional sense, it's like you get the money, you organize the people, you kind of are the hands for the brain of the director as well. So they're like, I need this exact kind of person for this thing. And you're like, okay, I'm going to work with the casting director to get that person for you. You know, like you're, you're, just getting every single duck in a row for them. Um, And you want them 
to walk on set like when they're shooting and everything is just like perfectly ready for them to like walk on and do their job that is the goal and this is obviously for like narrative stuff um which requires like a bigger crew that's not something that like I'm interested in doing so much anymore and I think that that's probably also why I'm like moving more towards producing documentaries is because I think um the producer has a very different role in the documentary sphere um you'll see kind of like when you're watching if you're watching a doc and then it'll be like the person interviewing will say something you see and then it's like producer and you're like oh okay like the producer is a lot of the time the one interviewing people which I think folks are kind of surprised by like the director kind of takes like a, a bit of a um equal role to the producer in terms of the creative in documentary this is at least in my experience um and i think i kind of like that i think i'm someone that is kind of like a repressed creative like i've always taken on roles where i'm like supporting creative people because then they can take the hit if it like sucks or something but then i'm like scheming behind the scenes to be like do it like this do it like this is like it's like a I don't know what that is. Repressed creative is an interesting a, way to phrase it. I don't know. It's almost like a spineless thing to do in a way because I'm like, if it sucks, then like I don't have to take the hit. But if it's really good, I'll be like, oh yeah, like I, I yeah, like it's kind of shitty. But is it? Does that stem from you not wanting to be on camera, or is it you like the control of kind of shaping it behind the scenes? I really love the behind the scenes, like. um, I am the faculty advisor for the Humboldt International Film Festival. That's my role at Cal Poly. And it's a student-run film festival. It's the longest-running student-run film festival in the world. And it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I feel so lucky to be part of it. And as the faculty advisor, it's kind of what you'd expect. Like, I see my students, like, you know, getting stuff together. And I'll just be like, what about this? What about this? And like, they, luckily they listen to me. And so I can like help to shape it in very like hands-off ways. And it's so satisfying sitting in the theater when the festival is happening and having my student co-directors go in front of all these people and like, you know, announce it and talk about it and stuff. And I'm just, nobody knows who I am really even still. So I'm just like hiding in the corner being like yes <laughs> like, it's I really all coming get together it. yeah and I, th I think that's just probably insecurity like not wanting to be the center of attention but wanting to like really be a part of something so that's probably a healthier way to go about it though than the person who is self-obsessed in some way needs to fill that void by being the center of attention could be i feel like it's it's a, like safety blanket thing that i do i'm not quite sure where that comes from but i enjoy it are you a pretty outgoing person in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. I think so. I mean, you're doing a podcast with a stranger you just met 10 minutes ago, so. Yeah. I'm a Gemini, though, so it's like I'm... I don't know what that means. People always okay. say, oh, I'm XYZ, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess. So, Gemini, it's like the two things. So, I can, like, yeah, walk in a room and, like, be super outgoing, and then, like, 20 minutes later be like, I need out right now, and I don't want to talk to a single other person. Like, it's very kind of, like, flip-floppy is the thing do you know what yours is yeah i'm a scorpio oh, shit. but that sounds like me i could slip into that sometimes where you can go it's almost like a 
switch that gets flipped off where you're super well because outgoing. you're a scorpio and you're like oh is that falling into the same you're thing? like kind of manipulative so you're like okay maybe i should like spin this this way in order to like get this reaction or maybe i should spin it this way like and yes of course it's a totally human thing to be like bopping back and forth but what what day is your birthday it's the coming seven. up yeah of november um I don't know. My my partner is a Scorpio also. I can't say a bad thing about Scorpios, but like complexities abound. Yes. Yeah, I the whole astrology thing I think is a little over my head still. That's a realm I have yet to really dive into. I like to think of it as actually an astrologer told me this once because I used to get readings all the time. He actually told me that I should move to California, my astrologer based on my chart. But he said, you have to think of it like a weather forecast. So like, if it's raining outside, I'm not going to like leave the house without an umbrella. Like, you just have to look at the weather to know, right? Like, or if, if the weather forecast says it's going to rain, is what I mean. Same thing with astrology. If it's like, okay, it's Mercury is in retrograde, there's like a full moon, and you're about to like sign like divorce papers or something, like don't, just don't. Just wait until Mercury's out of retrograde. Like, this is common sense. Like, look at the weather. That's how I see astrology. So it's not that woo-woo. Like, really, think about the moon. Think about the tides down the street. Does the moon not dictate those guys? So I think the moon's powerful enough to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I don't know how woo-woo or not it is. I think the problem is you have woo-woo people in everything that almost ruin the group. Because you have some people that are super far into it, like, oh, you can't, you know, it's a full moon tonight, so you shouldn't leave your house or something. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you're probably okay leaving your house. It's just the fringe people that take it to the extreme. Yeah. I don't want to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Identity politics or anything. Um, Do you like to say pretty agnostic? Yeah, on a podcast. I would Probably say yes, call. I would. <laughs> I do not buy into that. I go, I pretty much dive into everything. And then if you put your foot in your mouth, well, yeah, I don't it's always do another that. podcast. I don't want to do that with you yeah. today. So we can <laughs> do you, this idea that you're kind of redirecting more towards documentary style. Yeah. I mean, there are a ton of stories you could tell in this area. That is almost like a pretty mm-hmm. solid fit for you then. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas? You want to pitch me something? <laughs> I, to pitch you, no. I where I'm at is more. I like the idea of short films right now, mm-hmm. but documentaries. I love a good documentary. I think everybody yeah. does. You could do a short documentary. I don't know what I would do a documentary about. What do you do? You have any ideas that you're kind of sitting on, or I'm not. Uh, I'm not developing anything right now. I'm finishing. So at the moment, I'm in post-production on a documentary about language revitalization on the Tullawa Dine Nation, which is near Crescent City, is Smith River area. Um, and that has been a long, it's not that long, actually. We started it in like the summer and now we're finishing it. So that's been taking up a lot of my time. And then I also have a short film that was just doing its festival run. It just screened at Fantastic Fest in Austin. Uh, and that is hopefully going to be at a few more festivals so i've been kind of focusing on that one too so i'm it's nice because i'm at the point where i'm like okay like 
You're ready for something. Ready for something, but in a way where I'm like, I want to like think about thinking about something. Like it's very slow. Um, and that's okay because I've got other stuff going on. Um, but it's it's nice to just like play with ideas. Um, my partner and I also got a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts. Bless Canada for having grants. Um, to develop a documentary about plant communication. So how plants communicate with each other uh and through many lenses and we we talk to a ton of people like from scientists to like traditional knowledge keepers um about this like general topic um but we've sort of taken that and put it on the back burner and that's okay i think that ideas need to sort of percolate and sit and develop or not um and i think that's the other great thing about a documentary. You can think about something and sort of like do the research, but it's it's different from writing, you know, like a hundred page script and being like, oh, that's actually not a great idea. <laughs> like, And then you've invested X amount of hours into it. Yeah. So um, I think I just need to be open to the area and like listen to people. I think there's a ton of of people that I haven't met yet and stories I haven't heard yet. So I'm just like waiting I did hear, though, and I don't know the details about this. <laughs> he lives around here in Myrtle Town. There is a guy that has, like, many dozens of guinea pigs. I've not heard about this. Yes, I don't know the details, but I'm kind of, like, interested in learning more about it. Does he breed them or he just has I don't know. a little army? I don't know. This is a mystery. So, like, if anyone out there He's has a guinea now. pig lead, like, I'm interested. <laughs> How do you pick a project when it comes to you? Um, well, up until recently, I was running my company, Kinosum Productions, with two others. And the three of us would kind of like vet things together. Like it would be kind of like, a, okay, like here's some ideas. And a lot of the time as a producer, it would be like one of my other two collaborators being like, I want to direct this. Like, let's do it. And me being just like, I'm here to support you. And so it was more just like, them as people of just being like yeah like i just want to support what you're doing like rather than being like oh i don't like that idea or like i just kind of had faith that they would make it great so i've made very random things like i made a documentary for broadcast about the um orphan oil well crisis in the canadian prairies and then i've also made a documentary also for broadcast um, about the effects of World War II on Japanese gardens in Western Canada. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place. And now that I've left this company, um, I feel more sort of like, okay, no, like now you can like fully come up with your ideas. It's sort of what I was saying before about like hiding in the shadows. People would come, like my collaborators would be like, let's do this. And I'd be like, sure, okay. But now as like a solo person, I'm like, okay, like, I guess if I want to do something, I can do it. Um, and I just finished the one that screened, the short documentary that screened um, at Fantastic Fest recently is called The 200 Phenomena of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And it is like a super weird experimental documentary about a collection of short stories that was found in a notebook uh, on a university campus in Calgary, where I'm from. And it ended up getting posted to 4chan. And this was in like 2009 before 4chan was like a bad, bad place. 
And it kind of proliferated online from there. And it developed this like kind of like mystical folklore thing online in sort of like a creepy pasta way. Um, and I found out about these and we like went on this whole journey and because they were such like weird things that existed only in the online space we took like a very unconventional approach to the documentary and that to me was sort of my first that was I, I directed this so it was, this was not as a producer and this is now the bug that I've caught is like okay now I have full creative control like now I know what it's like to be in the director's seat as well as the producer's seat and now I'm like, okay, I just want to keep doing like wacky, weird things um, because I think that there's such a gap in the documentary sphere for experimental stuff. Like it's very easy to just watch a documentary. You're interviewing someone, whatever, talking heads, cut to B-roll, no problem. What about like these more abstract approaches to things um that are yes it's like true documentary but it's like super surrealist and like out there and i think the world needs more of that and that's what i want to be doing so even if it is like i mean the guinea pig thing it wouldn't be the guinea pig thing with just like me talking to the guy with guinea pigs like it'd be like something very kind of like abstract and conceptual <laughs> less straightforward than that talking head b-roll mm. kind of path that's what I, yeah, that's what really gets me going right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there's definitely an opening in that market, right? Because the well, talking head B-roll is just, it's everywhere. Everybody does that. Yeah, and I think people expect that, you know, I'm not, I don't think that any of the work that I will ever make will be on something like Netflix, and that's not what I want. So, um. But you do have one out on Prime Video. Oh yeah, I do. Thanks for thanks for the subtle, plug. Subtle little plug for that. Uh, that is called that is a narrative film. Uh, events transpiring before, during, and after a high school basketball game, um, and that's yeah, like a lovely little like dark comedy that we did with Andrew Fung from Kim's Convenience. And I think having that name, especially because he's becoming more popular in the U.S., we were able to get some really great attention. Um, and Andrew is local to Calgary and he's like friends of friends and was just so stoked to be part of the project that I think we really lucked out having that like extra leverage for us. Um, but yeah, you never know what people are going to take. And that came with having a distributor come on and kind of manage that from there. If you don't have a distributor come on for your indie film, you will never get your film even on Amazon. Like it's all just kind of awful. Um, yeah. Do you take that into account when you're looking at a project? Is the scope of how big it could get? Yeah. And it's funny because I think that I'm in the, in a place right now where I don't want to do something big. Like I don't have the mental capacity to take that on. Um, but I think it's like anything you, again, also talking about the industry as this big thing and how it's not that it's like every individual film is so different like you have to really recognize your audience and like the scope and what it is in order to know where it's going to land um and i think having a background some i have a background in marketing and that is really really helpful for that kind of like distribution phase of films and being realistic about where it's going to go um and even if you screen at like really good festivals it's just so hard these days to get 
anywhere that has like commercial success with your film unless it's like actually commissioned by a streaming service. Netflix doesn't just like take finished films anymore. They commission the work. Of course they do because they've got the analytics to show this exact thing is going to perform well. So I'm going to make this exact thing. Like we need a romantic comedy with like this, this, this. We need like all that stuff. And so they just like plug it in. They're not going to go get it from somewhere else. And yeah, it sucks. And I think that, it, that again, to be especially an independent filmmaker at this point in time, you are kind of insane and kind of like kidding yourself if you think that you're going to make it. But then people do. And it's this, you know, like it's like, yeah, but like there's always this like, but maybe. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough I think that I'm making peace with knowing that I want to make things in my community for my community at the moment, at least, and that's okay. And that I do have the potential to like really like shoot for the stars if I wanted to, but you have to be like so dedicated to the work that you're doing. Like, so when that comes across my desk, then I will maybe do it. No. It's. Yeah. It's almost sad that we're in that state of movie production where you're just doing this plug and play format. Okay, this is going to work. We don't want to take any risks yep. and see and create something that's maybe maybe hasn't been done or is a little more out there because yeah. we don't know if we're going to flop. So we invest all this money into it and then it doesn't pan out. Whereas if we do this rom-com that we know if we can get two A-list celebrities, it's going to do this amount and we'll be okay. Yeah. Let's just do that. It's really, truly... Like, that is something that I'm, like, makes me not want to be in the industry. It's just, like, seeing kind of that that big high-level stuff and being, like, you're fucked. Like, and even if you, I have this feeling, and I don't know these people that work on these, like, really big shows that they kind of know that they're doing it for the algorithm, you know? Like, they're doing it because this is what's going to perform well. Like, yeah, they're making millions, so I'm sure they're fine. But, like, I just wonder as artists if they're just like, what am I doing? I would rather be making, like, a thing in my basement that I deeply care about. I don't know. I'd like to think you can have money and the, like, creative passion, but it just, I don't know. I haven't met anyone that does both. The question is whether or not they have that when they start out and it just gets beaten out of you through going in that process mm -hmm. or you just that's how you develop is you have to develop into that to fit the mold to actually get into those positions i think it has a lot to do with integrity as people like any job that we take on you have to really think about what it means and and deeply care like if you don't deeply care about something you shouldn't do it um, but easier said than done, especially when there's a ton of money attached to something like you can't tell me tomorrow if someone was like, hey, let's like hi at Spotify, like let's do this podcast like I'll pay you this much right like but here's all of this like, you know, red tape or like small print with things like you'd probably still do it. I wouldn't, but that's because I'm a little dumb, but <laughs> I I wouldn't hold it against people that do. And I think the only reason I wouldn't is because. I've put in, I've gone too far with this now that to hand over any semblance of control or have any semblance if of If someone was like, here's many millions, I don't know. You'd be but shocked it, at what people If do. I was living in a basement and, you know, couldn't afford to eat that night, 
yeah, I would sign on the dotted line, but I'm not there yet. And so in this position, I mean, it's hard to say what you would do when you're not actually in that position, but I, yeah, yeah, I couldn't do it because uh, there's too much. I have complete control with this. I could say whatever right now. You could say whatever Mm -hmm. and it's still going out. It's just, and I don't, I think it takes, it's good that you're seeing that now because I think it takes that going away for people to realize how much they cared about that, you know, and Again, maybe it isn't so wrapped up in money as I think it is, but... It definitely is, to some extent. Yeah. I mean, money is the... Money is a strong motivator. hmm You could say if somebody offered you X amount of money to be in this film, but they take over your socials, they take over everything, then I would doubt I would struggle with. Mm-hmm. Because then you're still giving up this freedom, but you're also getting something that you want out of it i don't know it's that world is so interesting because you lose so much but you gain a lot in the process Mm -hmm. so yeah especially if you're fitting this specific mold of movie making you're not maybe making what you would actually want to make and taking the risks and trying to create something that is up to your vision but you're also making movies that a lot of people are going to watch they're probably going to enjoy i would imagine that's gratifying and you're making a lot of money doing it Mm-hmm. but are you losing a piece of your soul in that process is the question yeah i mean i think that we exist in a environment where we are all kind of oppressed in some ways just living in such a you know capitalist money focused sort of environment where we we have to we kind of have to participate whether we like it or not and whether that's like oh yeah i'll just like work a couple days a week and just get by it's like no big deal or i'll like hustle super hard and make a ton or whatever we're we're all kind of like complicit in this structure that we have built for ourselves and it's flawed but it is also sometimes good like i don't really know yeah (laughs) i kind of believe you have to participate until you don't and the goal is getting to the point where you don't and so maybe that translates to you working you know 80 hours a week to try to get to the spot where you can say no i don't want to do this and you have the fuck you money to kind of back that up but do you want to work 80 hours a week is that something you want to sacrifice to get to that spot and most people don't get to that spot that's the crazy part is you could try to do everything right and still have some form of cancer that just bleeds you bankrupt and then you're screwed. Yeah. And you have cancer. Yes. Yeah. USA, baby. I don't know. Yeah. I that's, love the healthcare system. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. That's kind of the American way is just like fucking go until you drop. And like, I don't think that I, my current work situation is particularly difficult, but I do see like, People grind in this country more than at least where I'm from in Canada. And it's interesting. That's just like another, like I said at the beginning, it's like these little tiny differences. And it's like you're working like over 40 hours a week rather than like 35 or 30, like just small difference. You don't think it would even really make a difference, you know, but it's just enough to be like, damn, like, yeah. What do you think that is? Um, 
the difference between yeah the difference in mindsets between the two countries they oh, were just a little crazier it's over very here. no it's politics and it's socialism versus like capitalism, capitalism really <laughs> so but um Canada is flawed too. Like there's all kinds of issues there. I'm not, but I I do see from like a labor perspective, there are differences that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, and in a way I'm like, damn, like good job, America. Like you're grinding, like you're doing it. Um, but I also see a lot of health issues here. And these are health issues that come from like chronic stress and overworking and lack of preventative care. So it's like, oh man, like, okay, you know, you get, there's a flip side to everything. Um, and again, back to the film industry, it's like, that's like times 100. Like, I know people that have been hospitalized like several times just from, from, overworking. from overworking. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me, I'll be honest, part of me absolutely fetishizes this idea of just working. And putting your nose to the grindstone, mm -hmm. keeping your head down, and just doing the work. That's because as hard yeah. as you can for as long as you can. Because you've been told that that's like the Amer that's the American dream. That is that's like, what it takes. Yeah, and you put your head and you just go, and then and then what? There's like a pot of gold at the end of the like rainbow, and you're gonna get it eventually. But what if you don't? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I can say that and embody that now but if you ask me in 30 years and i was still in a position where i'm struggling i might be a little more remorseful about those missed moments those opportunities that i didn't take because i was working yeah there's i don't know this stuff probably is like on instagram or something i don't know where i've heard this but like interviews with seniors and across the board the big piece of advice that they have at the end of their lives is I wish I had worked less, like pretty consistently work. I wish I had worked less and spent more time with my friends and family. So like, I mean, these people have been through it. They know like we should be listening to them. Like, I think that's like, it makes sense, you know, but on a day to day, it's like, no, but I have to like today I worked. Like I only work half days on Friday, but I worked more than that. And then I worked immediately on the documentary i'm trying to finish and then i came directly here and like fridays are supposed to be my chill day but then there is like i i get what you're saying with like i want to just put my head down and work because there is this like i think it is just like it's feeding that like anxiety and it's feeding that that like ego or something because it you start do i'm noticing this with myself you start doing it and then you do it even more and you do it even more. And I'm noticing it because I spent the whole summer like not really doing anything and then just launching in to heavy work. And instead of it just being like, okay, I'm working now. It's like, no, like m line go up. Like line is Ripped always up. going up. And I do not want that. Like that is like against like my value system. And it's, it's, I think that it's something that's very like chemical in the human body that's like, must do more must do more it's like we're running away from something i don't know it's very weird really trying to keep that in check do you think that you can 
almost use that as a source of inspiration, depending on the type of work that you're doing. Do you think these people that they talked to and they said, yeah, you should spend more time with your family. Do you think they were spending their working years doing something that they were really passionate about or just working some job that maybe they didn't really like, but it paid well. And so they got that trade off. I'm going to put in a lot of work so I can make money, but I'm Mm -hmm. sacrificing my time as opposed to if you were in that position and I said, here's $10 million, spend the next five years creating the project you really want to create and you're working 100 Mm -hmm. hours a week, but it's towards something that you're incredibly passionate about. This is, this is a complicated question. There's many layers to this. One, these seniors that we're talking about, yes, they worked in a generation that like they did not have like fun, passionate jobs. However, I want to understand what you think passion is and say, okay, is this podcast a passion for you? Like this is it. This is like your passion project. Yeah, I don't think I, it would be sustainable if it wasn't. The amount of work that goes into it, I, I don't think I could do. If, it, if there wasn't something there that I felt I had to do. Okay, but this is not your day job. So if it was, like if you're, if you're doing what you said as like, okay, you're going to do this for like many, many hours. How do you think you're going to feel about your podcast? Like if, if this, this was, was my day job, if I was like making a sustainable living for like this, years, like this is like it that you do. This was the only thing I could do. Or what do you Yeah, think? like it's like, okay, this is your passion. Go do it. But like, do, this is it. Like do it every day. Do you think that, I guess what I'm saying is like, would that, would that like shine wear off pretty quick? Or do you think that that's like, no, this is my passion. Of course it wouldn't. This is like. I'm thinking I would do this even harder than I am, which is kind of upsetting me right now because that means I have, I'm going back to that. Oh, that means I have more work I should be doing. I should be doing more podcasts in a week. I should be editing more in my spare time. But I think I would ramp it up more if this proved, because I'm still in that awkward spot where you're very much teetering on the edge of, is this something, is it not something? But you almost have to separate yourself from that to just do the work. Because if you start thinking about it too long, you're going to think, well, why why invest time Mm -hmm. and not get anything back? So you just keep your head down and then you have momentary glimpses of, okay, where am I at now? And then you go back in. But no, I think I would would do more. I would do more, which is telling me I need to do more. Well, it's funny. Like, would you, at at a certain point, like someone walking into the studio sitting down, would you just be like, oh my God, like I have to do this again like no because I would never let it be that kind of conversation if it was a guest that I wasn't completely excited about talking to I wouldn't do it and that has been a recent lesson that I've learned I've had to cancel some podcasts because I realized oh this is not I don't want to do this one Mm -hmm. this is not I don't think it's it's not going to be enjoyable or you get a weird vibe and it's just okay, I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to do this because I don't want to ruin what it is. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, in my opinion... You might lose some of the shine. The shine, and that's, I think, how I'm feeling about working in film, to go back to it. It's, I want to, I want to, like, build up my passion again. It's like a slingshot for me. Like, 
I'm not a person that is like, choose your one passion and do that forever. Like I've never, ever felt that way. And I think that the one thing that really gets me going, like regardless of what it is that I'm doing, is just like bringing people together and building something as a team that we all care about. And so it takes some time to like step back and wait and have it come. And then that's sort of like the slingshot and then you go and then you stop. I don't think that I, maybe this is a personality thing. Maybe other people are like this, but I can't imagine someone being like, oh, this like guitar is my passion. And like, if you were like, okay, you can do that forever, all the time, every day. Like, that sounds like hell to me. Like, I would not want to do that. But I think it's just a personality thing, maybe. I don't know. No hate to people that like do that. It just, well, there's definitely the aspect where it, your your thing that is the source of so much love can become the source of hatred where you just especially in trying to monetize something you can lose that if yeah. it starts out as a, as a passion or something you just do on the side because it just makes you happy and then it turns into this thing that you've monetized and now you're doing it because you have to get the paycheck mm-hmm. it can kind of change what it means to you yeah that definitely happens to people Yeah. And I think passion is such a loaded word for me as someone that's like been kind of a generalist always and been like a dabbler always and being asked so much of like, well, what's your passion? Like as though like there's a problem in your life and it's like if you just like identify this one thing and like go for this like one granular thing, then you're going to be like feel better. Like I've never... I've always felt kind of, it's the same thing, like, this is controversial, but it's the same thing as people being like, but are you happy? As long as you're happy. And it, to me, those words are just so, like, one-dimensional. And I guess it also comes back to what we were talking about with the forest, you know? There's always bad. Like, there's always darkness. And that's okay. Like, I think this is a very western approach to just living and working in general of like well as long as you're happy it's gonna be okay um it's it's never gonna be like that and if that's the carrot that you're chasing you're gonna be miserable forever and so i'm really like a fan of seeing the nuanced things the nuance to things and seeing kind of like the 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 darkness to things but in like a good way like that is like a nice like the the darkness is there to sort of like bounce the good off of it you know so yeah i think people have definitely been lied to in this idea that you should be happy all the time and that if you're not happy 24 7 something is really wrong and you need to change what you're doing Mm -hmm. you're gonna have your ups and downs yeah i think the question is maybe are you happy enough are you happy enough with what you're doing because if you're more miserable for a longer period of time than you are happy then maybe something's wrong mm-hmm. if you're spending 90 percent of your time just hating life that might be pause for mm-hmm. concern and this, it usually has nothing to do with the work that you do a lot really. of the times it's just your internal state yes yeah so do you think about that a lot as you're kind of yeah. Shifting into this new place in life, I guess you would say, of 
trying to figure out the balance that you want to kind of carve out for yourself? For sure. I think that being, it's funny because I keep being like, I'm new here. I've been here for two years. I'm not new here. But I think that, like I said, it's it's been such a slow burn for me. And it's it's an opportunity for me to really step back and be intentional about like how I am in the world. Like when you move to somewhere new, it's kind of like a blank slate and you can start fresh. So yeah, I think that um, the moves that I make, it's like, okay, well, this is in front of me and I'm making this move, but like, how am I going to do it in a mindful way and with integrity, even if it's not something that I'm like super into? Um, yeah, I think that we always have to just like reassess as we go. Um, and it's a favor that you're doing not just to yourself, but to the people around you. Like, it's not about being happy. It's about being, mm, I guess, satisfied or would another word be, I hate the word happy and I feel bad saying that because I feel like an asshole, but, um, uh, content feels a lot more grounded and natural to me and, um, you can find that in, and that is so much grounded in the moment and you could be in any kind of situation and you just have to sort of like check back in with yourself and visit what it is that you need to just feel like you're there. And to your point about like putting your head down and working, um, and also how the film industry is very much like that. I am constantly trying to fight against it, but I am also constantly aware of how conditioned I am to be like that we're all conditioned to be like that um and I think it takes a lot a lot of work to sort of like step back in your everyday grind that we're doing and just rethink your internal state and it doesn't mean you have to like go quit your job and live in the woods it means you just need to like take a moment to reframe how you are internally I don't know yeah that idea of of happiness it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I don't think people should chase happiness. I think, or at least for speaking for me, I think if an idea that I've been working with a lot lately is chasing a state of peace mm -hmm. and just trying to be at peace in every situation that you find yourself in mm -hmm. rather than trying to be happy all the times because being happy, you're, you're in a stimulated state and that is taxing to you. You just want to be at peace. You want to be able to sit with yourself alone in a room and not spiral out of control. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you sit in that room and you start spiraling. And then it feeds, it almost maliciously feeds back into the sense that I have to go back to work because I can't sit still. Yes. So I'm going to work more. I'm very in that state usually and I'm trying so hard to step out of it. And it's funny too. So my partner is on sabbatical at the moment. Um, and he's also like a very steady person like extremely calm and i am very up and down and it's having that kind of energy in your life and that you know he's he's doing like just odd jobs around the house and just chilling it's like it's a wonderful opportunity for me to be like okay like i need to kind of like regulate myself a bit more to like meet this person where they are because that's our nat again our natural state is just this like bananas thing and you see someone that's like literally not i mean not working their day job anymore and it's crazy how calm and like i don't know chill your life becomes i'm like we should 
guess the what I'm trying to say with this whole podcast is like we should all not be working. <laughs> Wage labor is bullshit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it. Do you think you would be where you are now if you didn't have that kind of demon inside of you pushing you to work that way, though? No, you like I said, you can't exist in this little thing that are this human ant hive thing anthill has created. Like, well, you can exist. The question is, in what state you're going to exist. Are you going to be the homeless person or the person camping out in the woods? Or are you going to be the person in the $500 million penthouse overlooking Central Park? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't really know how to respond to it. Um... Again, it goes back to your internal state because you could be miserable living in the woods or you could be like super stoked about it. Like, I think that we are all like, oh, my God, think of the world like it is at the moment. Like everything is completely fucked right now. And so for us to be sitting here being like, I don't know, maybe I'll do this or like life is hard. And like, what is it that we're doing? It is like. We are so, so, so lucky to be in the position that we're in. And it really is about reframing your consciousness rather than reframing your, like, physical surroundings. Because all of us are, like, so, so privileged to be kind of in the place that we're in and be healthy and, yeah. It's hard to internalize that, though. Yeah, it's It's easy to to say say it. it. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's easy to say and it is so hard to do. And I think that, again, it's just a case of like constantly reminding yourself like it's kind of like if you have like say you have like bad posture or something and you like your chiropractor is like you got to just stand this kind of way. You can't just like stand that kind of way. And just do it. You have to remind yourself all the time for months and months and months. And then you kind of do fix it. And it's like, oh man, okay. It's just this like constant reminding. And I don't know, part of me is like, we are who we are and we got to just like do our thing. But then part of me is like the human brain can like train itself to do all kinds of amazing stuff that is like very good in the long run. Maybe like not so fun in the moment, but like, yeah, this, that is the, journey that i'm on we're all kind of on that journey of trying to figure that out it's a good journey to be on yeah it's far better than the alternative of just being miserable and accepting that is life you just exist in this miserable state yeah this is all it's going to be yeah those are the people i can't stand if you're unhappy and you just think this is this is how life is Mm -hmm. for me i Mm -hmm. just am miserable all day, every day, and nothing's going to change. Yeah. It's fun to it's fun to go there, though, sometimes. <laughs> it's easy to go there. Yeah. It's definitely easy to slip into that what was me mentality. Mm-hmm. And the world is crumbling around me. Yeah. But nobody's going to change that. Yeah, I think it takes, and then, again, like, I think that I'm someone that sort of, like, revels in the darkness, but I think it, it takes, it takes, like, dipping into that to come back out in a bigger way 
So I'm very, I think, not steady in that regard. Like I like to go down and then up again for better or worse. You like to stare into the abyss. Yeah, because then you're like, you see what's all the way down here and then you can also see what's all the way up here. It's, it's about like a having breadth as a human. Do you think that's a just a creative person in general is you have that darkness kind of tucked away do you think that no people in general that's people and again i think it's a very like western thing to to stay within this small thresholds and i think that as humans we have like way more capacity than that and we shouldn't be scared of it yeah people that are afraid to go into that darkness i think that's where a lot of problems come from because the only way to confront that side of you is to mm -hmm. take a trip down there. The problem is not everybody comes back from that trip. Some people get It's lost. a hole. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely been there where you're just like, oh, I've dug myself into this hole and now the hole is like way like how? How do I get out? Yeah. But. Do you... It's interesting saying that hearing that you are taking this kind of pivot towards documentaries because hearing you talk about this, you sound like someone who would be down the rabbit hole of kind of dark and brooding mm. narrative short films of I want something that's mm. a hard hitter that just is incredibly dramatic and just leaves you sitting in your seat when the screen flickers off. And now humanity is dark enough as it that's is. That's a good point. <laughs> like, that is a good point. We got plenty of stories that exist. I don't know for me, like I nothing against narratives. I just think that it, as we are, like I just want to to see and hear stories like as they are um yeah well you're right in that you could definitely have some pretty you could after saying that you could definitely achieve some some dark realities that don't have to be fabricated mm -hmm. just look at the past mm -hmm. you've got a ton yeah i want to know about the scripture writing I, I can tell you off air. I can tell you. I, Come I don't on. Put it, I don't want to put it out <laughs> on the podcast just yet. But is if it, I tell is you. Is it a short or a it, it would be a short film, yeah. I've got the idea. I have the actually the opening scene that I've been sitting on. I just haven't quite figured out how to, how to tie it all up yet. But I can tell you off air. Yeah. You're going to think, oh, this is dog shit. I'm glad you didn't say this <laughs> on the podcast. Can I ask, like, what inspired you to start writing something? I wanted to act in something. But I wanted to act in something that I, I like dark shit. And so I wanted something that was powerful and kind of dark. And obviously being up here, it's not like we're down in L.A. where you could just go try a bunch of different things. So I thought I would write something and talking to all of these other people especially justin and you know a couple photographers it it makes you want to create something mm -hmm. something that you can kind of put out into the world and just say this is almost like a labor of love you just put out there and and let it exist mm -hmm. that's awesome i feel like a really good thing for folks that are writing is to workshop it with people like I don't know what goes on in Humboldt in terms of like 
film groups. I know that there's the film commission, but that's like very industry focused. It would be so, and again, this might exist already, but like, wouldn't it be so nice to have like a round table writers group that, you know, you're reading your scripts together and you're going through things. I think that that's when you get some really incredible progress in work is when you're able to objectively, like to put your ego aside and get real feedback from people that you respect. So many times I've seen filmmakers because you it's like your magnum opus. It's like, yeah, it's perfect. It's not. It's good. There's going to be things totally wrong with it. And um, many directors that I've <laughs> worked with, it's shocking how many blind spots they can have because they're just so dead set on their vision. And it's all stuff that like at the end of the day when the film comes out, they're like, oh, I wish I had done this, this and this. And it's like what like so many people told you this throughout the process and you wouldn't listen to them like it takes a lot for people to like be open to changing their vision because they're really afraid of compromising and you gotta let people in to the process you know this whole idea of this like you know like writer in the you know back of the dark room working by themselves and then releasing it into the world and it's perfect like that's insane like you have to you have to be collaborative with your approach with it or it's going to suck. So happy to read your script. <laughs> yeah. 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 I definitely wouldn't think that uh, it would be anywhere near perfect. Whatever I produced, I would not have that problem. What is it? Can I ask like the genre that it's in? It would be a drama. I, mm -hmm. think. I think now we're getting like way, way past the level of intensity that I am currently in with it. Work wise. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. You should working do on it. some ideas. Yeah. And well, I'm going to have to now that we've been talking about it. Now I got to, I got to do something. Yeah. And I think just like enjoy the process. Like the journey is the destination. There's definitely a thing that happens when you finish a project. Like if you see it all the way through, there's like a mourning period. Like, and I've shared this with a lot of other people that work in film and they're like oh yeah it's totally like especially when you're you're shooting for like weeks and weeks with the same group of people and then you finally wrap everything up and it's like what happened like where's my family and like is this really done and i don't know again it's this like trauma bond thing where and it's like okay you gotta just like enjoy the process because it's over and it's just like, that's it? I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like moving, right? You build this community, you get pretty close with everyone, and then you just, everybody goes your separate ways. Yeah. Do Project you find over. it, like, I, in, as someone that's from here, what is your vibe on, like, the film community in Humboldt? Like, do you, like, I know you've interviewed a few people, but I'm curious if you have kind of like a, like if you know a group of people that work on things, like if if there is a community here for that, I don't. I don't know to what degree. I don't think there's a very big community. I know Justin has some guys that he is pretty close with that are also photographers, kind of videographers. I don't think there's any like close knit group where you everyone would go and like hash out ideas. Yeah. Or, work through scripts i don't know that we have that it's too bad so in canada i i hate being like well in canada but like 
there is this beautiful thing where there's um, nonprofit, like, artist-run centers all across the country. And this was something that was put in place in, like, the 70s, I think. Um, whoever the prime minister was at the time, like, implemented this big national, like, arts, like, influx of arts funding. And it went to, like, building out these centers. And originally, it had so much to do with, like, renting gear and having access to, like, the new technology. But now, as technology has sort of progressed so quickly and it's a lot more accessible, these centers have become so much more this hub for um, networking and coming together to share ideas. Um, and I worked at one of them for four years as the communications and programming director. And that's where I kind of got my first footing into the film world. And it is just so, so, so important to have that kind of thing in any city, even something small like here, you know, like the Humboldt County Film Club or something, like just some, you know, we don't even need any like real money to get something like that started um, because you've got, you know, Cal Poly Humboldt has a growing film department and with amazing talent coming out of it. Like I'm shocked by some of the work that these students are making. And they come out of it and they're like, well, I want to stay in Humboldt. I love it here, but I don't feel like I can do anything as a filmmaker. And if we were all able to just like really come together in a way that was productive and, you know, just able to share our visions and also be able to share technological stuff like, hey, I have a camera you can borrow. Oh, you have sound gear. Great. Like, let's that is what's going to build the industry here is just getting people together. And the more that I'm talking to folks, like even just in the past like six months, I'm like, oh, like even on your podcast, I'm like, oh, there's other people working in film that you're interviewing. Like, huh, okay. Like there are people here doing it. There's probably a ton. And it's just, you know, coming together to to share ideas. It should never feel like it's about competition. This place is too small for for that to be, like we need to be working together to build something up. Um, So, make it happen you're like the guy talking to people well i think that's more <laughs> your area to start that kind of group there i know access humble they provide gear that you can rent but i don't oh, know okay. if it's how how much of that is videography gear i know they do some lighting i think they have some access Humboldt. access Humboldt. yeah it's a community huh. resource i think their rental fees are pretty cheap again i don't know if it's videography stuff though I don't, i'm not quite sure i know they have some podcasting stuff and microphones and Mm. lights but i don't know what past that but i think a lot of it is kind of that mentality of the walled off garden especially with things like film where you just create in this box you don't want to let people in or collaborate because what if somebody steals your idea or Mm -hmm. runs off and copies it and then you're you're screwed and now you've got nothing yeah it you can't exist in a box in this industry like it takes a village yeah we could use that village up here. I think that's why a lot of people leave, especially for film, is there's nothing up here. Yeah. So we're going to L.A. hmm Have you spent much time in L.A.? I have not. I have not. I've gone, you know, trips, a weekend here, a weekend there, but not anything extensive. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't think I could hack it. I've been there a few times, but not for work. Um, hack it lifestyle-wise or professionally? Yeah, lifestyle-wise, like, I just think it's, it's like, the grind, and the grind is, like, on crack. Like, it's just a lot. It's literally on crack down there. I mean, it's not really literally, but, um, 
each their own. I think that, like I keep saying this, but you can't talk about the industry as one thing. And I just want to fit into like a tiny little branch of it that's kind of vague over on the side at the moment. And that might change. Yeah. Well, I think that's how bigger parts get built out, right? If somebody has to say, I'm going to carve out this spot. It's you're, you're almost planting a tree and mm-hmm. then the tree's going to grow and it's going to get bigger. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll start a film co-op here. I think that's what we've decided on this podcast. That's I, It's funny because I, I hadn't even remotely thought about that until we were talking and I'm like, that's... Not a bad idea. That, that is a beautiful thing about being in this place is that there are enough people to really build something. You know, it's not like we live in Auric bless Oric, but like <laughs> um but there's not enough people for it to be like oh no there's another one of these over here like that's already been done it's kind of like the perfect environment to start stuff actually because you can bet in the next like 10 20 years that's not going to be the case this is sort of like the moment like you've got the people you've got the energy but you don't have necessarily like all of that like built up infrastructure and we have the opportunity to be part of building that. It's really cool. I don't know. I think that's a great idea. Great. Let's do it. We're solving all the world's problems on this podcast now. Okay. Well, we can wrap this. We've, we've done. I have not talked this much in like years. So I hope that, that was passable for No, this was great. I, I'm really appreciative of you coming on. I had a great time talking with you. Yeah, me too. Do you want to plug all of your stuff where people can find Kinosum, your past work? Um, yeah, so Kinosum.com. I don't I don't run Kinosum anymore, but they're wonderful and amazing and they're based out of Calgary. And um the short that's in festivals right now. The 200 Phenomena of Calgary, Alberta, Canada will be, I don't know, when I'm done my festival run, I'll just probably put it on Vimeo at some point. Um, But the feature documentary that I'm just finishing is actually premiering at Cal Poly Humboldt on November 11th at the Native American Forum. And that is called Still We Live On, and it was made with and for the Tolua Dine Nation um, and it's about language revitalization in the community and the work that they're doing to build up their language. And it is an incredible, inspiring documentary, in my opinion, just the work that they're doing um, for a community that is so small. Um, it's pretty impressive. So I'm really grateful to be part of that project. Yeah. And be on the lookout for a project coming out on guinea pigs. Most likely. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I did want to ask, just because it popped into my head, this idea of kind of touring the film circuit and these film festivals. Is that, I know you said it's it's challenging to get a lot of traction with that, but is that still a viable option for people? If you shoot, say you're in a small community and you shoot something and you get it on the circuit? 100%. 100%. That is, like, if you're talking career-wise in order to, like, build up your resume and your reputation as a filmmaker, yeah, that is that is it. Like, that's your first stop. If you're talking monetarily, even if your film screens at Sundance, like 
you still have to get into the right hands for it to actually make a buck. So I think people convolate those two a little bit much um, of like, oh, if it screens at festivals, it's, it's successful. I've made it. I'm done. Yeah. But like, hey, I mean, when I get a notification that I got into a festival, like I'm happy, you know, it's a great feeling. And it's just a great feeling to know that eyes are seeing your film. Um, so if that's the goal is just to get eyes on it, like, yeah, amazing. Get it into festivals. Just apply for festivals that you have researched and are reputable because there's like thousands and thousands of them out there that are kind of just a total joke and a racket. So they'll just take your money. So just have a festival strategy. Are a lot of indie filmmakers going the YouTube route? Is that an avenue they're taking or it's still predominantly festivals? Well, again, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is like, I'm going to be a YouTube influencer and I'm going to make, because you can make a lot of money if you get a lot of eyes on YouTube. Like, and there's no shame in that whatsoever. There's some amazing work coming out on YouTube, but you're not going to have the video that you made for YouTube play in a festival. It's just completely different audiences. Sorry, my phone's going off. No, that's perfect. That's our song <laughs> to wrap here. But yeah, it, different audiences... Definitely, you'll get eyes on YouTube too. So, okay, well, thank you. We'll wrap this here. Thanks for doing this. Really, I had a lot of fun talking with you. Me too. Thank you. Thank you.